Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. I want to start today in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost, who is in you, whom you have received from God, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I want to talk for a minute about the Holy Spirit. I had a conversation with someone recently that was talking about how they have have been in the church, they have grown up, but the Holy Spirit is just not mentioned. I mean, he's mentioned, you know, he's, he's shoulders, like Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But that's it. Like, they don't, talk about what he does. They, they know Jesus, well, he died on the cross for my sins. God, the Father, well, he gets credit for everything. But the Holy Spirit, what is, what is that? How, how do I, as a Christian, involve the Holy Spirit? And when we look in Scripture, the interesting thing is, as, as ironic as it may seem, Scripture shows us that as Christians, we should be interacting almost most with the Holy Spirit. Yet he's the one we talk least about as the global church. Christianity is not just a code of conduct or a club with get out of hell free cards. When we think about what does it look like to be a Christian, it doesn't just mean, well, we're the ones who don't do this list of things, and we do do this. You find us on church on Sunday. The Bible doesn't say, and they shall know them because they're in church on Sunday. It says, you shall know them by their love. Some people think that that verse should say, well, you shall know them because they don't drink or chew or run with those who do. Like, No, that's not it at all. It says, John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You and I are temples of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that he lives in us. Acts 2, 17 says, in the last days, and we are in those, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is going to be a big part of what it is like to be a part of the church in the latter days. That is in Acts referencing the prophecy that's found in Joel. When he says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters, men and women. To some, the Christian, the the Holy Spirit is kind of this ununderstood role. Today, I want to talk about who he is and some of what he does and how we interact as Christians with him. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That was Jesus talking. 
Jesus said to his disciples, he stood there in the flesh. How many of you ever wished you were a disciple? Come on, I'm not the only one. Be like, oh, if I could have just been there like, and seen him in person. But listen, this is what Jesus said to the people he was standing in person in front of. He said, it is to your advantage that I leave being in front of you in person so that you can have the Holy Spirit. Guess who has the Holy Spirit? You and I. Jesus, when in person, told the people he was with, you are better off when I leave and I send you the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't think most of us have figured that out yet. We're still thinking, man, if I could only have a connection to God. If, if only, you know, I had supernatural power in me. We do. The Bible says it is to our advantage. John 16, 8 says, and when he has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convince the world of its sin and of the availability of God's goodness and of deliverance from judgment. The world's sin is unbelief in me. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock over some sacred cows when it comes to Christianity and, 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 and sin today, okay? I want you to notice this. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts people of sin. He informs them of the availability of God's goodness and of the deliverance from judgment. In other words, the sin that's there, you don't have to be judged for it. And then it says that the world's sin is lying, cheating, stealing, drinking, smoking. You know what? All those things that we think of, that's not what the world's sin is. It says that the world's sin is unbelief in me. Too many Christians have gone around thinking that their badge of accomplishment is avoiding swear words. Never stealing something larger than a stapler from the office. Thinking that, that by avoiding that sin, that's what really sets them apart. The Bible says no. The Bible says the sin that really makes the difference, that sin is unbelief in God. John 16, 13 through 14 says, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He will speak truth. Whatever he hears from the Father, he will speak to us. How many of us are listening for what he says? 
we are called to be led by the Spirit. The Bible says that my sheep know my voice. God can, can and does speak to us through our spirit. The Holy Spirit should be something that we consult with on a regular basis. He knows truth. What? what should, you, don't, you don't have to get up and ask which, you know, which sock goes on the right foot, which sock goes on the left foot. There are things you can do without asking. But you know what? I think there are way many things that we've been doing without asking that he had an opinion on. Are we seeking his guidance? It says he'll guide us in truth, that he doesn't speak his own authority. He speaks what God gives him. John 14, 26 in the Amplified says, but the helper, that's speaking of the Holy Spirit, but this word implies the following meanings. The comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, and the standby. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this was Jesus speaking, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things and he will help you remember everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit has offered to help us remember what we have learned, what we know, what God has spoken. What is God's word to you? That, that might, might be something simple. You may need help remembering where you put the keys, but you also need help remembering what God's call is on your life what his purpose is, how he desires for you to respond to your children, to your coworkers, to your spouse. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit represents him. What is he like? He's like Jesus. Too many people have this spooky idea of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we call him the Holy Ghost. And we have this, this imagination that the Holy Ghost, well, he's going to have me swinging by the chandeliers or doing something really strange. But the Bible says, if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, look at Jesus because it says he is like him. The world needs to receive Jesus. The church needs to stop resisting the Holy Spirit. We need to welcome the Holy Spirit in our life. Ephesians 4, 29 through 30 says, Do not let unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar words ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good for building up others according to the need and the occasion, so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him, by whom you were sealed and marked, branded as God's own for the day of redemption and the final deliverance from the consequence of sin. Now, this verse says, do not grieve 
the Holy Spirit. I have a question for you. When you were a kid, how many of you guys would get in trouble if you did something wrong? How many of you guys got spankings? How many of you guys got grounded? Okay, how many guys got both? All right. Now, as a, as a young kid, the younger, the more, the more this applies. You do the right thing to avoid punishment. You don't eat the cookie out of the cookie jar without asking why, because the last three times you tried it, you got in trouble. So you ask, because you want a cookie, but you don't want to get in trouble. But what about as you get older? We start to realize there are sometimes I can do what I'm not supposed to and I won't get in trouble. Like nobody, if, if I wait until they're out of the room, then they don't spank me for grabbing the cookies. Right? And as you got older, what is your motivation to do right? As you grow and mature, well, one of two things happens. Some people grow up thinking, well, if I can avoid punishment, then it's okay. And they spend their life trying to do things without people noticing, just trying to manage. As long as I don't see the consequences coming, then I'm, I'm good to go. That's an immature way to live. The Bible says, be sure that your sins will find you out. God says that he will repay. Vengeance is mine. Eventually we pay. But we don't always see that. What motivates us to do that? It's, it's a right understanding, a recognition that doing the right thing is right because doing the wrong thing grieves God who sees us. The Bible says his eyes are watching over the evil and the good all the time. When we recognize that our behavior grieves God, displeases him. So here's my question for you. How many of you are married? How many of you think it's okay to have an affair? Okay, good. All the hands went down. Why not? I mean, what if you can do it without them knowing? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. Now, there's two reasons. Just follow this through. I'm not encouraging anybody to have an affair. Don't worry. But here's the thing. In a healthy relationship, a husband or a wife are not avoiding an affair simply because of the consequences that person would rain down on them. In fact, in a healthy relationship, if my wife recognizes that I love her so unconditionally that even if she did something hurtful like that, I would not reject her instead of making her more likely to go and sin against our marriage, she would be more likely to recognize, you know what, I don't want to grieve my husband. I don't want to do that because I simply recognize it's going to please. Not because he was going to rain down wrath on me or because he was going to leave me. 
right? So many times, we inappropriately, in marriages, in relationships, we try to force people to do the right thing with threat. You'd better do that, you better do this, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna talk to you for a week, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna divorce you, or I'm going to, to kick you out of the house, I'm gonna do these things. But what we want is for them to be behaving to please us. When there's a healthy relationship, I don't have to say, I'm going to do you harm if you don't do right. All I have to say is, that really hurts. And they'll look and say, I don't want to hurt you. That is why we avoid sin. The Bible says that when we live in sin, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Some people still have this idea, well, how many sins can I commit and still be going to heaven? Because if it doesn't bring me a consequence, well, then what difference does it make? That's not a mature Christian's perspective. Romans chapter 6, it actually starts in chapter 5 and then moves through chapter 6. How many realize it wasn't written in chapters originally? But Romans chapter 5 starts and, and Paul is explaining the grace of God. And he talks about how we are forgiven. Let's look in verse 18. It says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one act, righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that Jesus, as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Good. He says, sin is out there, but grace is stronger. It's bigger. If you go to verse, the, the next chapter, the next verse is chapter 6, and he continues to talk about this, and he summarizes in verse 15, he says, what then? After he talked about how much grace we have, he said, shall we sin because we are under the law, but under grace? He's like, so when you re recognize that God has forgiven you, should your response be, oh, so I won't get spanked for grabbing a cookie out of the cookie jar? <laughs> gobble them down like cookie monsters, spreading them all over. No. Listen to what he says. He says, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Here's what he's saying. He said, just like a person who used to be addicted, who is now free from addiction, 
When you tell him congratulations, you're not addicted to nicotine, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is anymore. Their first thought is, great, I'm not addicted, let's go have another. No, they would celebrate their freedom by staying out of it. Recognize, well, great, I don't, if I don't have to go back to that, I don't want to go back to that. I'm not avoiding sin. Here's the thing. You and I don't avoid sin because our next sin is going to send us to hell. We've already been forgiven. We avoid sin because we treasure our relationship with the Holy Spirit and we recognize that to act contrary to his will grieves him. I don't avoid cussing people out because I'm afraid of what God will do to me if I do. I don't cuss people out because I recognize that is the Holy Spirit's desire for me. He wants me to be a reflection of his character to them. And when I choose to reflect God's character and the fruits of the Spirit towards them, then they get a glimpse of who God is through me. And I have Instead of grieving the Holy Spirit, I have pleased the Holy Spirit. Say this with me. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. That is not just some cliche thing. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us. We as Christians are called To be in communion with him. To be sensitive to what pleases him. To seek to do what pleases him. Not for fear. Listen. You are not. You do not need to be afraid. Of punishment. Say that with me again. Say I am not. Afraid of punishment. No, we're not. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient. Because when we accept his forgiveness, he gives it. Now, just like Paul said in, in chapter Romans 6, he says, so when you discover that God is taking the punishment, do you want to run out and sin more? so that grace could abound? The answer is no. Not if you understand the relationship. Not if you recognize the the preciousness of what you have been given. We, we We don't live under the threat of punishment. We live with the invitation for communion with a God who loves us so much he paid the price for our sin. He calls us to live. What does it look like when someone reacts not based on what the situation merits but based on what will please the Lord? In the early 1900s there was a genocide 
of Armenians in Europe. The, the, Muslim, the Turkish Muslims killed over a million and a half Christians simply because of who they were. One of those Christians witnessed as a group of soldiers, Turkish soldiers, came in, abused and killed her family. She escaped, became a nurse, and years later, a soldier was brought in critical condition. And when she went to care for it, she recognized this is the soldier that had abused and killed her family. She, she cared for him, did all of that. When the soldier finally recovered even consciousness, he was explained that for a long time his life was just barely, barely held on. But because of the exceptional care he received from that nurse, he survived. And he was introduced to her and he looked at her and he recognized that he'd seen her somewhere before. And when he said, have I met you before? She said, yes, you have. And he remembered. And he said, then why didn't you kill me? And she said, because I'm a follower, follower of him who said, love your enemies. Whoa. That behavior pleased the Holy Spirit. He was glorified. Remember what it says the Holy Spirit does? He glorifies God. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. All children of the Lord, raise your hand. If your hand just went up because you are one of God's children, God describes you as being led by the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to raise your hands, but when was the last time you did something because of the Holy Spirit's leading? And if, if we don't say recently, then here's our challenge and our homework, church. I want you to be intentional about recognizing the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. That means when God wants to communicate to us, he will communicate through our spirit, by the Holy Spirit. I have it here, and I lost my spot here, but there's a verse that says, and it came into their heart to do these things. That was the Holy Spirit putting it in their heart. You and I, the answer to a thousand questions is... Be led by the Holy Spirit. Do I buy the red car or the green car? There's no verse in the Bible that says which one. But the Holy Spirit knows which vehicle is about to blow an alternator. We're led by the Holy Spirit. What major should I take in school? Which school should I attend? The Holy Spirit knows. Be led by the Holy Spirit. 
Proverbs 21.30 says, No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. He knows better than any other circumstance. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Acts 7.23 is the verse I was thinking of. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Psalms 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We've discussed this before. Does that mean if you desire a Ferrari, one will show up? Or does that mean he puts desires in your heart? He gives you the desires of your heart. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a missionary. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go somewhere where I didn't speak the language very well. I wanted to go somewhere where I didn't know anybody. I wanted to go somewhere where it was difficult. Does that make any sense? No, that wasn't, that wasn't me desiring. That was God putting in me the desire of my heart. We, he wants to speak to us. Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I know that I have not yet laid hold of it. Only one thing matters to me. I forget what lies behind and I reach out towards what lies ahead. The Holy Spirit will help us leave the past in the past. I am not against therapy. I'm not against therapists. I'm not against any of those things. But I want to make an observation. So much of it is simply getting people to let go of the past. Bringing the past into the future. The Holy Spirit wants to help. He wants to help. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm, this is the amplified version, of one who walks daily with him be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace indeed you were called as members of one body of believers and be thankful to God always. We follow the Holy Spirit. We follow his leading. And the Holy Spirit always honors God's word. One translation says in Colossians 1.35, it says, let the peace of God rule in your heart or govern. It is what should steer us we as Christians, we shouldn't ask first, well, what would my friends do? What would everyone else at the office do? What would the other students do? Our first thought should be, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do in this situation? 
2 Peter 1.20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God's word came from the Holy Spirit. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He will not contradict what he said. If you wonder, is, is what I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit, you compare that against what we know to be the Holy Spirit. And you can recognize if they align, okay, that's good. If they don't align, don't tell me the Holy Spirit told you to go rob a bank. Don't tell me... and that the Holy Spirit told you to leave your spouse and go marry someone else's spouse. That is not what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit already gave his opinion on that. He didn't change it when he started talking to you. The Holy Spirit will always align with his word. Every time. The Bible is always true. There is one interpretation that is right. There are many applications. The Bible is just as applicable to a truck driver as a banker, to a teacher, to a, to, as, as to a housewife. Any person is, is receiving from the Holy Spirit. He applies those truths to their lives. Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. When we're seeking wisdom of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you, ask for him to enlighten you through the scriptures. You say, you know what, I feel want something from the Holy Spirit, but it, it, I want something more articulate. Ask him to send you to the scriptures. What is the scripture? It's what he's already said. And he says it's not of private interpretation, meaning that when he wrote the Bible, he wrote that intentionally to be applicable to each and every one of us. When we are being guided by his word, we are being guided by him. We can ask that he would enlighten us. He always agrees with his word. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make, I will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Praise God. Mark 4, 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear by your own standard of measurement, that is, to the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom, it will be measured to you, and you will be given even greater ability to respond, and more will be given to you besides. Do you hear this? This describes gradual growth. Somebody says, well, Okay, I want that. 
The Bible says that as the more you apply, let, let's just read this again, and I want you to think about the concept of, of growing. It says, then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear by your own standard of measurement, that is to the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom, it will be measured to you and you will be given even greater ability to respond and more will be given to you besides. As you exercise communion with the Holy Spirit, it will grow in your life. Your ability to recognize and apply God's wisdom and his word to your life will grow. Some of you are like, well, I don't feel like God is saying much. Well, when was the last time you listened to anything he said? Start there. Start small and grow and grow and grow and grow. Some of us are, are, are hoping for some like complex theological debate with the Holy Spirit. But when he says something simple, like, yeah, that comeback, don't say that out loud. We don't listen. Oh, but it's so good. I think sitcoms have ruined us. Have you ever noticed that the people in sitcoms never get offended at all the little witty things that are being said to them? If you said that to a real person, you'd get smacked. And here they are, you know, friends in the same apartment, always happy to be around each other, and they're constantly just stabbing and insulting each other and, and witty little... And then we think, well, I think that's the way I want to live my life. Go out there and just... Start with the small stuff. When the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he will convict us of sin. He will remind us what that right way to do this is. You want to, to listen and recognize. You want to have a complex conversation with the Holy Spirit. Start by listening when you have a simple conversation with the Holy Spirit. And then you will grow. And your conversations can grow in complexity. And you can use scripture to confirm. I think I'm going to, to close here. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God has forgiven. Say this with me. Say, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I am forgiven. I am right with God. He loves me and I love him. We're here to please God. And it's not because we're afraid of judgment anymore. But it's because we know him. We see the goodness. The Bible says it is the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. It's not the fear of punishment. It is recognizing, wow, this is such a perfect, wonderful, loving, caring God. I want to please him.
I just, I desire that for each and every one of us, that we recognize, wow, I am in this to please the Lord. If you know that you're right with God, that your sins are forgiven, I want to one more time ask you to raise your hand. If you're online or if you're here today and you see that and you say, well, how do they know? I mean, I hope. I hope I am. I, I would like to be. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you believe with your, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, died and rose from the dead, you will be saved. You can know that you have salvation. You don't have to hope that maybe you can know as sure as God's promise that you are saved. That you are right with God. Some of you may say, I walked away from the Lord, but I want to come back. I want to begin being intentional about pleasing Him. Talking to you too. Just with every eye closed, every head bowed just for a moment. If you desire to acknowledge his forgiveness, to accept it, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If you're watching online, if this is you, let's pray. I'll repeat when we say, Dear God, I believe you died for my sin. I recognize you rose from the dead over death. Thank you for forgiving me. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. It's not magic words, but it's a declaration of belief that God says he honors. You are forgiven. You are right with God. And he desires to grow in relationship with you. We have a book up here up front. If you, you were here today, come on down. I'd like to give it to you. If you're watching us online, we have that also available digitally. Just send us a message. You can put a comment. You can send us a, a direct message. You can send us an email. Whatever you want, we'll get back with you and get you that booklet. We want to just help you step by step walking that out. Um, thank you so much for this. Come on up.